Well, we're in 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 9. Paul defends his apostleship, and he's also talking about the right of Christian workers to receive support from their ministry. And then in the last part of chapter 9, he outlines the passion that should be in the heart of every servant of Jesus Christ. And we, we feel a little bit of the passion of Paul. I could probably divide this uh, chapter into three messages, but we want to cover all of it today. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 19 to 27, the last part of the chapter, uh, which is I'm going to major most on today. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but... I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your precious word. We pray that God, you would use your word to speak to our heart about a passion for those who do not know Christ and running for the prize. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the first part of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking about the Christian workers' support in verses 1 through 18. Paul had to start out by defending his apostolic authority. In verse 1 and 2, he says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Some within the church at Corinth were saying, Paul, well, he's not one of like Matthew and Peter and Thomas and all those original 12 apostles, so he's not a real one. He's not, he wasn't there when Jesus was walking the earth and walking with him, so he can't be an apostle. So Paul is defending his apostleship and giving his defense there in verse 3. The word apostle means one sent under commission and refers primarily to the 12 apostles and then also to Paul. These men had a special commission given to them uh, as New Testament apostles to lay the foundation of the church along with the prophets. One of the qualifications you had to meet, if you were going to be an apostle, you had to see the resurrected Lord. 
Well, we know that Paul saw the resurrected Lord on his way to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus. He saw the resurrected Lord. He was blinded by the light. And Jesus spoke to him on that road. That was his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul also says, if anyone else doesn't believe that I am an apostle, you folks there in Corinth should believe it. Because when I showed up, you were just absolute pagans. And through the preaching of the gospel, you became my fruit, you became believers in Jesus Christ through my ministry as an apostle. So he is defending his apostleship to them. In verse 4 through 6, one of the things that apostles had the right to do is they had a right to get support from the believers in Christ. He says in verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? In other words, we have a right as well as the other apostles to make a living. Verse 5, do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? You know who Cephas is, don't you? Peter. Peter had a wife. He also had a mother-in-law and he had a wife. And people usually point to Peter as the first pope and, and say, well, that's not logical because he had a, a wife and uh, a lot of times we don't, uh, are not biblical in our understanding. In other words, Paul is saying, I would have the right to have a wife. In other words, to be able to support, is it only me and Barnabas that don't get support from everyone else? So he is defending his right to receive support from the churches as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he defends that privilege for all Christian workers in verses 7 through 14. In these verses, he gives several lines of argument to show that Christian workers deserve to be supported financially. Look at verse 7 is what he says. Whoever goes to war at his own expense... Anybody who is out there fighting the enemy, uh, they don't have to go to the local gun shop to buy their own bullets so they can, or buy their own uh, boots or anything like that. The government supports them because they're fighting. They need to be supplied with everything they need. Or also in verse 7, he talks about who plants a vineyard and does not get to eat of the fruit. Or who tends a flock as a shepherd and doesn't get to drink the milk of the flock. I mean, it's only logical. He uses that argument so those who preach the gospel should live with the gospel. And then he goes into the Old Testament law in verses 8 through 12, where a passage of scripture, when you have an ox that is treading out and plowing the grain and smashing it into flour, you don't put a muzzle over its mouth so he doesn't eat any of that uh, product of his labor. You let him Get some of that grain for himself. And he uses this to apply to Christian workers. And then also the teaching of Jesus. That even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel has commanded that preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now his arguments to the Corinthians prove conclusively that he had the right to expect the Corinthian believers to support him in his ministry uh, when he was with them. But then he def- 
defends his right and then he gives them his own practice. Paul's personal practice in verses 15 to 18. He said, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that you should do this to me. He's saying, Okay, I had the privilege, I had the right to receive support as all Christian workers have the right to live by means of the gospel. But when I was with you there in Corinth, I didn't take one dime from you folks. And I had the right to do that. And I'm not writing to you that, oh, yeah, you can start supporting me now. No, that's not what this is all about. He, when he was there in Corinth... He received support from other churches, churches in Macedonia. But when he was in Corinth, God had told him, God had communicated, do not receive anything from them. Work at your own tent-making business. And the reason he did this, he did not want anybody to say, well, Paul, he's only doing this because he's getting paid to do this. Paul wanted them to know he is in it because of the necessity of getting the gospel message free of charge to as many people as he possibly could. And no one would be able to, to be distracted from believing in the free gospel of grace by thinking that he did this for the ministry. When I was uh, pastor in my first church, just excited to be able to preach the gospel. I was jogging with a group of men in, in the town that we were living in, and we would be preparing for 10Ks on the weekend, and I was jogging with them. That was back when I used to jog. Any of you guys have a used-to activity? Some of you used to run marathons. Uh, now you're able, very able to walk out of the house. Well, that was uh, in my used-to days when I would jog. And, and I was, uh, there was another pastor in the group that was a pastor in uh, one of the churches in the community. And, and I was so excited about privilege of preaching the gospel. I said, and so uh, what, why are you in the ministry? What, why is it that you are pastoring? And he looked at me very seriously and he said, well, my particular denomination has a wonderful retirement benefits. And he wasn't talking about heaven either. I couldn't understand that as a 25-year-old pastor, that someone would actually do this because of the money. Because I wasn't getting that much pay. And Paul was telling these Corinthians, get it out of your mind, I'm not doing this. For anything except the obligation that God has put in my heart to give you the gospel of grace and see you saved and on the way to heaven and not going to a devil's hell. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I think that all of us should have that ringing in our ears, not just for Paul and for preachers, but all of us should have this feeling of an obligation, woe is me if I do not share the gospel with the people that God has put in my way. Woe is the church if they stop preaching the gospel. Woe is the Christian organization if they put the gospel way back as the last thing that they do. Paul was passionate about getting out the gospel. That's the Christian workers' rights. Now he is speaking some words about the Christian workers' responsibility in verses 19 to 27. And the first one is our soul winning responsibility. 
Now, I want you to notice something. And as a matter of fact, I have kind of avoided the term of soul winning because it, it kind of uh, has a negative, like you're collecting scalps or something like this. But I, I want you to listen to what Paul says in these verses of Scripture. Change my thinking on that. Verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without the law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Five times Paul spoke about winning people to Jesus Christ. One time he said, save some. Now, Paul knew that he can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save. And he can't win anybody. Only the Lord can win. But what he is saying by using this term of winning people, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. And even denying some of my own freedom, Paul being uh, brought up under Judaism, he laid aside that Judaism and that law-keeping and everything. And when he was with the Gentiles, he spoke their language. When he was with the Jews, he spoke their language. When he was with weaker Christians, he spoke their language. Anybody he was with, it was all about trying to see them come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was free from the law, yet willing to enslave himself. And when he was Jews, he politely conformed to their customs so as not to offend them, so that they would listen to the message about Jesus Christ. He became all things to all men. It's unfortunate that sometimes people twist this to become a chameleon, changing your message with the audience that you're around. Paul was no compromiser. He didn't adjust his message to please his audience. He was an ambassador, not a politician. He wasn't trying to please people. He did not parade his liberty before the Jews, nor did he impose the law on the Gentiles. He had the right to do all these things, but he became so that he could win people to the Jesus Christ, to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the weak, to all men. He related to all kinds of people. When you speak to people, don't argue about politics. Don't argue about things that don't matter. Talk to them about Jesus. You don't want to pre-offend people. You want to have an opportunity to share Christ with all groups of people. Red, yellow, black, and white, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of languages, all kinds of age groups, whether it's children, you've got to put the gospel down on the lower shelf. Whether it's the teenagers, sometimes you've got to talk to them like they understand. Whether it's senior citizens or what kind of people, we need to share Christ with all people. I had a call Thursday um, from somebody up in Michigan that said, I have a relative that is over in Tidewell Hospice in Port Charlotte. Will you please go see them? They do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, I said, thank you. I, I'll plan to do that. And I was going to see them on Friday. 
uh, which was the next day. And God had just put in my heart, go now. And I put my uh, Bible in my truck and headed the hospice, put my mask on, went in there, and I just felt this lady was asleep. She was breathing very shallow, just in, out. I couldn't wake her up. And some reason, God impressed upon me. Share the gospel with her anyway. The last thing to go is your hearing. And so I shared the gospel with this lady, talked to her about John 3.16, how Jesus loved her so much and died on the cross to pay for her sin. And all you have to do is, is just call out to him or in your heart believe in him and you can be saved. And I prayed with her and I left. Friday morning, I got a text saying this lady had passed away. And if I wouldn't have gone right then to share Christ, I don't know if she got saved. I don't know. I just know God impressed me to share Christ with these people. I hope that all of us are listening to the nudging of the Holy Spirit when people are, are sitting next to you. I, I was uh, conducted Barb Ring's funeral yesterday, and I heard testimony of her witness, the song that was saying, let me tell you about my Jesus, was Barb Ring. She, she witnessed to the cable guy and got him saved at her kitchen table. She witnessed to people on the airplane. She was one of those annoying Christians that tell you about Jesus when you're sitting next to her, you know. And it, it is amazing how she was used by God. And I pray that Lord help me to listen to the Spirit of God when you're nudging me to open my mouth that I would not keep quiet anymore. Paul became all things to win people to Christ. That was his soul winning challenge also, there is a prize-winning responsibility in these verses of Scripture. Verses 24 to 27, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it? And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, the Corinthians that Paul is writing to would have been very familiar with the Olympic Games, but they also had outside of their own community the Isthmian Games, which were second only to the the Olympics in popularity. Knowing this, this was every third year there in Corinth, Paul used a metaphor very close to their experience, and he talks about running in the race. The running race was one of those four games that were there in the Isthmian Games. And he, Paul uses that. You know that everyone who runs, runs for a prize. You know what the prize was? The prize was a, a wreath made of laurel branches. Some even say it was made out of celery uh, woven together. In other words, it was not very expensive. And you would wear that if you won the race. Now, it wasn't a Nike shoe contract. 
It wasn't a gold medal. It wasn't a cash prize. It was just this laurel wreath. It was the acclamation that everybody cheered for you. It was the the glory of winning that race. And Paul says, run to obtain the crown. You know what our crown is? The crown that God is going to give to us when we stand before Jesus Christ of a race that is well done. The greatest crown we'll ever receive is the words of Jesus that says, well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul is saying, that's why I'm in this race, so that when I get to the end, I won't just stumble across the finish line. I'll be able to run across the finish line and have the Lord say those words to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Run to obtain that prize of God's high calling of God. And then he also challenged them to run temperately, temperately. What does that word mean? That simply means discipline, self-control. An athlete who signed up for the Isthmian Games had to be disciplined to win the prize. Discipline means giving up the good and the better for the best. The athlete must watch his diet as well as his hours. He must smile and say, no thank you, when they offer him fattening desserts. He, he, he has to say no to those late night parties as well. Contestants in these games were required to sign a 10-month training regimen if they were going to be qualified to run in the games. There's nothing wrong with the food or fun, but if they interfere with your highest goals, then they are hindrances and not helps. And the same is true in the Christian life. There's things that we might have the right, and Paul is saying, hey, I'm giving them up. I want to run purposely for the prize. I'm not going to be involved in all of this because it hinders me from doing what God has called me to do, to be disciplined and winning people to Christ. And then he says, run purposefully and run carefully. Run carefully. In verse 27, he says this, I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, a lot of people think that Paul was saying that he had the possibility, he's referring to the possibility of losing his salvation. I don't believe that losing his salvation, but I think it means forfeiting his privilege of continuing to serve the Lord in this great gospel mission and losing his reward. Reminds me of Saul. Remember? Saul was great when he started to be the king. He was humble. And then it got the better of him. And the Lord, through Samuel, says, The Lord has stripped your crown from you and given it to someone else, David. And I think of Samson. Samson was given tremendous strength to use it to conquer the enemies of the Lord, yet he had become so careless in his moral life that at the end of life, end of his course, he had Delilah weave his locks of hair and had him shave all of his hair when he told him and he lost his strength and died. 
and died later with one more act of strength. But he died in shame. He finished his course shamefully. You know, my friend, you may have lived for the Lord for a long time. And some of us are getting near the end of our race, aren't we? Let me challenge you. Don't walk across the finish line. Don't disqualify yourself from the privilege of serving him faithfully. I know many ministers and many people in gospel ministry disqualify themselves because of some major blowout in their spiritual life and they're not allowed to be in that privileged position that God had allowed them to be in for a long time. And Paul says, Lord, I'm beating my body black and blue. I'm disciplining myself that when I preach to others, I could fall by the wayside. Oh, I don't want that to happen, to be disqualified. I'd like to leave a few applications as we close out our message today. The first one, woe is me. Woe is anyone who's a believer in Christ. If we let these opportunities to share Jesus Christ with someone, just go the way. Just go away. Paul said, woe is me if I do not do everything I possibly can to share Christ with as many as possible. The second application, what sacrifices are we willing to make to save some people? Don't allow your passion for other things and politics and opinions to, to ruin your opportunities to share Christ with all kinds of people. And the third, what undisciplined behavior could disqualify us from that reward? A Michigan high school athlete ran one of the best races of his life. But his choice words as he finished the race cost him a second place finish. Michigan high school runner Garrett Winter finished second in Division II state championship race. And as he finished, went across the finish line, he uttered a curse word in excitement as he crossed the finish line. Due to the use of the four-letter word, Winter was disqualified, the Associated Press reported. The Parchment High School senior finished the 3.1-mile race in 15 minutes, 27 seconds. That would have been a personal record for Winter, but that time was not recorded in the official time on record. With his use of the profanities at the finish line, Winter violated the national rule that governs conduct in high school run running, and he disqualified himself. Oh, my friend, we've got a wonderful privilege of serving our Lord. And we are, by our service for the Lord, are laying up crowns and glory and treasure in heaven. Are you going to lose all of that? Disqualify yourselves from being on the front line of sharing Christ with others by messing up at the finish line and being disqualified. Oh, may God help none of us be disqualified from serving our Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humbly bow before you. And as Paul knew his own self, we too know our own self. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, we know that we can fail you at the end. Oh God, may we not stumble across the finish line. We pray, help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.